Welcome to another episode of Eat Chit and Dice, a fortnightly podcast about games and almost never food. With me, as always, is Jared, and I'm Jondi. Because I said that different uh, yep, than I usually do. Yep. It, so it's, it's fine. Welcome it's not, to our new episode. It's not what we wrote. That's okay. I just want to change it up once in a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Jared named this episode. I will let him. Now you have to sing the song. Uh, no, you're doing the intro. Oh, okay. Well, darling, it's better down where it's wetter under the sea. Great. Well, um, we can't use that because um, Disney will sue us. So uh, I'll put in some generic copyright free music. Uh-huh. Anyway, so we're talking about underwater games. Yes. You just did. You just <laughs> did a hand motion. Like you want me to start talking now? Is that what that was? Yes. Uh, okay, that's fine. I can do that. I just didn't know what that meant. Uh, yeah, we played some underwater games. We played uh, way too many. There's way too many of them, guys. I don't know if you know this, but stop making them. <laughs> there's not that many. I mean, there's way less underwater games than there are like zombie games, fantasy games, or yeah. zombie games, but. It, it mean, was a, a hot. Lot. It was a hot theme for a while. There's a lot of underwater games. There's a lot that we didn't get around to playing. Right. But one that we did get around to playing, uh, and maybe this is the star of Johnny's life. Uh, Atlantis Rising, specifically the second edition published by Elf Creek Games, not the first edition published by Z-Man. Um, the mechanics I wrote: worker placement, comma, Stargate Atlantis. If you've yeah. never seen Stargate Atlantis, here's everything you need to know. Uh, oh boy, where to begin? Well, it's the the second show. It's the first spinoff show. Well, that's not true because the cartoon. Oh, I forgot about the cartoon. It's, it's fine. Bad. Everybody did. It's bad. So Stargate Atlantis is, is it's a It's the first real one. Yeah, it's a spinoff of Stargate SG-1. Which is a spinoff of Stargate the movie. The movie. And it takes it's, place. It's not a sequel. It takes place in another galaxy where... Okay, wait, hold on. Let's back up. Let if, me, if, if you've never watched Stargate before, it's basically a magical, not, not magical, magical, but it's a it's a magical device that lets you using it creates using a, ma- a magic phone number dial an alien planet that also has a Stargate, and then you can go through it. Basically, so Stargate Atlantis has an episode. I think it's the first episode or the second one that's actually called Atlantis Rising. Can I give you a Stargate Atlantis slash Stargate spoiler? Slash real life spoiler. So uh, the lost city of Atlantis is real. Um, it's an alien spaceship that yes. has that left Earth, what, like 10,000 years ago? Something like and that. And went yeah. to the Pegasus galaxy, which yes. is like a dwarf which is galaxy. A real galaxy. Yeah, it's a, it's a dwarf galaxy in the local cluster. But anyway, basically, long story short, uh, John D and I uh, spent about five minutes talking about how we could retheme this to be uh, a, a 100% authentic stargate atlantis board game because (laughs) in this game you are trying to keep atlantis from sinking down into the water but from being flooded uh which you can't do by the way it's impossible super hard but you're also trying like to mat like unlock the what's what do they call it in the game the stargate no well it looks like it totally it's the stargate uh i don't remember what do they call it in the game uh stargate uh, no. I don't actually know, because we only called it the Stargate. We did. And we, we called it the we, Stargate. I, I looked at what it was called in the rule book exactly one time and, like a, and said, okay, Stargate. It's like a, a universe portal or something. Yeah, it's a Stargate. It looks like a Stargate. But you're trying, you're like building it. 
And I, I don't know. I'd have to read the story somehow. It's like I guess saving I can the city the of Atlantis book. or something. But it's a cool game. It's a cooperative game that, like Jared said, is a worker placement. And it's super hard. Like most of the really good cooperative games, I, you know, they're... They're not fun if they're hard, if they're not hard, right? Right. Pandemic wouldn't be fun if you won every time. Right. And we won, but we did figure out at like in the last round of the game that we did something wrong. I think that we still would have won. Well, right, because we made it harder for ourselves. We made it harder we, for we ourselves. We cheated in so far as we did not follow the rules correctly, but the thing that we did wrong actually made, made it, it a it lot harder. <laughs> so uh basically when you're trying to build the components for the Stargate, that's not a Stargate. Uh, I'm, I'm getting the rule book. I've got the Dropbox page open right now. I could just go in the other room and get it. But There are three worker placement spots in the area where you can do those things. It's called the Cosmic Gate. There we go. The Cosmic Gate. The Stargate. There are three worker placement spots in there. We thought that that meant only three workers could go in there, which meant... We thought that those three workers could combine their uh, resources to, to build the thing. However, that's not how it works. So no. if you you're on... A, you pick a component tile and then place your worker on the spot and then pool your resources to build... But you all have to be on the same tile. spot to pool your resources. So in a sense... We technically were. We were only just using one... Instead of all three. Instead of all three. So in a sense, like we kind of cheated, but at the same time, we made it a lot harder for ourselves because there were several rounds that we wanted to put more than three workers over there to build stuff. And we didn't think we could. So I think that we would have won sooner with a lower margin of, oh, my God, Atlantis is going to sink. Right. And and here's how that works. So um, there is a... Uh, okay, there's 37 of them. There's 37 island tiles, and every round, a certain number of them will, as they, as they did in real life, sink. So you like, Atlantis, and it when was totally that happens, real. you like flip it over. Right, and when you flip it over, you lose access to that worker placement spot. So, what you want to do is try to optimize your your workers in such a way that you can get what the the ingredients, whatever the resources are. Um, to build the cosmic gate component tiles, you have to build nine of those. And once you've locked in all nine chevrons, you can dial um, discovery. Yeah. <laughs> discovery. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I want to point out that if you look at old legends of Atlantis, it talks about what the Island looks like and doesn't look like a star type thing. But if you watch Stargate Atlantis, the ship, they call it has what they call a star drive, but it's got like these, I don't know. I, I kind of explain it like it looks kind of like a star. Yeah. And in Atlantis Rising, that's what Atlantis looks like. It's got like all these like peninsulas. Yep. That, that's what they're that's what they're called. They're peninsulas. Um, and actually, each peninsula is different. Um, you've got the cities one. You've got the forges, which is where the volcanoes are. You've got like the mines, the mountains, the deserts, whatever. I don't I don't remember what all six of them are. There's like but, the library. Yeah. But. But as so, they sink, you lose access to those resources and right. buy forever. Uh, you, the the resources are not, they, even though the resources that you have, like, especially if you have the deluxe version, that's really cool. Oh, yeah, pieces. they're super nice, but they don't fit in the box at all. Uh, and they, they are not meant to be limited resources. So a couple times, like, 
one of us would need additional resources and there weren't any left. And I'm, I'm like reasonably sure we saw in the book rule book that they're not meant to be limited. Right. Right. So we would just have to be like, Oh, Jared, as soon as you turn those in, give them to me because I need three more or whatever. Yes. Now when they do, uh, so the difference between this one and the 2012 Z man version, well, there's a couple, but notably there's not like a military, uh, I'm sorry, a Navy phase. And I'm not going to go into all that. Um, because honestly, I don't know that you should even try to track down the first edition. You should just get the second edition, but I expect that when they do an expansion, they'll add that component back into the game and also make it so you can get more of the resources. Maybe. I don't know. Because yeah, they're not meant to be limited by how many come in the box. Like, yeah, there's only 16 Atlantium metal resin bars, but if you can, I don't know. If, if you're doing a real bad job of hoarding resources and not turning them in to build the components to win. Um, okay, well, just remember that you have four more than, you're, than, than you actually do, I guess. I don't know. So if you have the deluxe version, it was like the limited edition or what deluxe. I'm not, I don't remember what they called it. I believe it's deluxe. Yeah, I think it was the deluxe or the collector's edition or whatever. The components? But, but they'll sell them direct at at conventions. Right. I'm pretty sure this wasn't a Kickstarter. There, there are some Kickstarter exclusive it's like stuff, direct right? Exclusive. But, okay. Um, but the, the, the component upgrade part of it. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. Get cool. That. Don't like, even bother. If, if they have a cardboard version, don't get it. Stop but then wait, that. no, no, I mean, don't, no, don't get the cardboard one, get it, but then buy the components upgrade. Oh, is there an upgrade? Get. I believe so. I don't oh. think, I think they're sold out of it right now, but well, I think they're probably sold out of the whole game. It's possible. Um, I don't think that they're sold out of the whole game, but they are sold out of the, the deluxe stuff. Well, okay. Um, Either way, I, I think this is a really great game. But the um, game, at, the, the street date for the game is February 5th. Okay. It's good to so know. So you'll be able to get the retail version February 5th uh, in your friendly local game store. And yeah. it's really fun. I, I think that if you like cooperative games, uh-huh. this one is definitely one you should check out. And, and I know a lot of people have problems with uh, cooperative games because they lead to some quarterbacking issues. Honestly, this one really does a good job of keeping that from happening. I And I don't know what it is about it. I, th- I think it's because everybody kind of knew what their game plan was going to be like, OK, I know that I have these two resources that I need to contribute. So, yeah, you can tell me that I need to contribute them, but I already knew that and I was right. already going to do that. Right. Like you're you're already paying attention to what you have, what you can make maybe by yourself or there's not, I, I, oddly enough, there really wasn't anybody trying to quarterback the game. And Jared does have a tendency to do that, um, especially in pandemic. Because That's only because I have to mathematically tell you how to win pandemic because I've played, I don't know, a thousand games of pandemic. Right, right. It's real annoying. But and I'm going to tell you three rounds, three rounds in if we've already won. Yeah, you will. But this one, that, that did not happen. So... Yeah, uh, if you like if you like co-op games, check this one out. It's cool. It's fun. It's pretty. I mean, even the retail version, it's still pretty. The art is neat. Each of the player boards has a male side and a female side. Yeah, and it's just the art. Is yeah, this is like, the art is different. There's, a, but it's there's really teal cool. on one side, and then some lady on the other side. I don't know. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. And then there's Shepard. One of the one of them has has. Oh, I'm sorry, it wasn't Shepard because I tried to make that joke, and you said it wasn't. 
No. It wasn't Shepard. It was one of the Wraiths. But fine. We're making too many Stargate jokes. It looked jokes. like Todd the Wraith. But anyway, yeah, we are making too many Stargate We're, we're going to lose them. We're gonna If we haven't already lost them, we're going to lose them if we so, keep making Stargate jokes. I'm just going to move on from Atlantis Rising. We've said that we liked it. We think it's great. Play it if you like cooperative games. If you don't, then it's probably not for you. I want to play it some more. I do. I do really want to play it again, maybe on a harder mode and playing it correctly. The next game, another game that we played was one that was really popular at Essen this year. It's a game called Aquatica from Cosmodrome Games. And this one's kind of hard to explain. It is an engine building game. It's got a little bit of deck building aspect to it. In this game, you are, I don't know, like different gods of the sea. Yeah, you're like Poseidon and Tri- uh, yeah. King Trident and, uh, and, and uh, Ursula. <laughs> yeah, he's making that up. But you're, you're like these, these rulers of the sea. And yeah, I think you're, you're just kings. You're um, literally like finding like sunken ships and sunken cities and things like that. And you're rising them up out of the ocean. The way that works, and this is really cool, you have a player board that has slots for where you're going to put the cards, the, uh, the location cards. And those slots, you actually, as you rise the thing up out of the sea, you actually slip the card further up into its slot to see what all of the cards give you your resources. There's no actual like money resources. It's all whatever's on those cards. And there's different levels for what level you've risen it up to. And those resources are what allow you to get more locations and to get more crew. I don't know what you would call them. I mean, I, I want to say it's it's standard deck building mechanics. That part is about like getting that, part, that stuff. So that I part. don't know that we need to. If you've never played a deck building game, basically everybody starts with the same or close to the same cards. And then per player, you decide how you want to spend like the income or the power that you have on the card. So you play the cards down to buy more cards, to engine build, to buy more and more better cards. Right. So that part of the game is basically just straight up deck building as far as getting new people into your kingdom. Right. But the part that's not is that other part with the slidey bit. Which That's is really weird. cool, like how you get your resources is extremely cool. And even if you have access to those resources on one of those cards, you may not get to use them unless you have a card in your, like, that you haven't spent that allows you to do that thing. Like, you can't just go, oh, I have six money, I'm going to do this thing. You actually have to play a card that allows you to do whatever action you want to do. Yeah, we played half a round. And then realized we'd done it wrong, so we started back over. Well, yeah, because one of the cards... We were like, okay, I get blah, blah, blah resource and I get to do action X. No, no. You're getting those resources to do action X. to do. We decided that it it, it could have been worded better because it says like gain six resources and claim a card. But it should be gain six resources. To claim a card. Towards. We figured it out after like two turns when we were like, this seems wrong. Well, it's because one of the cards that was in the, the, uh, like the crew or whatever I hate that we're using the wrong words, but um, one of the cards that you could purchase to put into your deck of the people. uh, Uh, Ocean character cards. Yes, the characters. One of them said, like, would allow you to get multiple characters in a turn. And that's when it kind of clued us that we were doing it wrong. So we fixed that. We played the game correctly. Um, It has 
ways that you can get additional like money or additional uh, attack. Uh, um, yeah, strength, strength. And I don't know what the coin you was have called. To use, yeah, whatever. It was you have to about. use strength or money in order to either buy a location or to take over the location. And you can get additional resources of those things, additional to the cards that you have, by getting mantas, as in the animal, a manta. Yeah. And this is or real cool. Or mantis, as it said a couple of places in the rule book. It did. So what's really cool, again, like the player boards in this are really cool, and the components, because the only real component other than the player boards and the cards are actual plastic. Real life mantas. Yes. Uh, they're plastic mantas that are the ones that you start with have like your symbol for your deck and then you flip them over when you've used them. Yeah. So you've got, there's basically three things. Go, well, four things going on in the game. One, you're buying the character cards uh, through a deck building mechanic. Two, also through a different deck building mechanic, but similar to the first one, you're buying the like location cards. Although they don't go into your deck. Right. It's, it's kind of a side right. Three, thing. you're manipulating those location cards by by what they call rising them, moving them up on the yeah, board. Yeah, rising them, them up out of the ocean. And then four, you have the management of those mantas or mantis, depending, right. <laughs> depending so on which word are, it was. In the game, there are four objectives that you're trying to do. And what makes the game, what gives the game a lot of replayability is the fact that there's four objectives that are just on the board. But then there are also a lot of additional objectives that you can put on the board after your first game, like once you've played a little bit. So there's a lot of replayability because it's different things you would be trying to achieve when you play all the different times and different combinations of those objectives. And as you achieve those objectives, you have to actually put one of your mantas there. So you're losing some of these things that you have access to as you're get, gaining these objectives. Yeah, your, but it your, gets first, you points. your first game is going to be uh, 10 cards in hand, which is the deck building cards. Um, three treasure, which is the locations after you've risen them all the way and they're stashing your treasure. Right. Whatever. Now, that's hard to explain, but... The smaller cards, they basically go as you a... use them, they move into the treasure. Yeah. Uh, what is this one? There's one where you have to have five mantas that are not uh, exhausted. Yes. No, five exhausted mantas. Or five exhausted mantas. That one is really hard. Uh, if you play this game, I'm going to give you a tip. The, on the first play, if you're doing the five exhausted mantas uh, one, go, go for, for that, that one, one first. first. Yeah. Because once you start losing your mantas, when you get the other objectives, it's Real hard to get those five mantas. Yeah, I struggled with that. I still pulled it off. I pulled you it did. off for you guys because I didn't. Uh, I think that was the second one that I went for, which was a good good call. Um, and then I can't. I can't tell this iconography what this what this last one is. But there's a fourth one. Uh, it's a it's four something. I'm not sure what it is. I'm sorry. Uh, but whatever it is, that's the fourth one that's on the board. It is a really fun game. It's quick. Like maybe forty five minutes tops with with four players. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't real long, and I, I liked the ingenuity of how the player boards worked. Um, it's it's a beautiful. The art is just really beautiful. I really enjoyed this game. Um, we were talking about it does not have a North American release scheduled currently, but I'm sure somebody's going to pick it up. Yes. I I can't imagine this game 
just sitting out there and not getting picked up forever. Right. I imagine it will get picked up. I mean, it's not like you can't get it. Um, it's just not been officially released for North America. So yeah. it is a, it's a great game. It's really pretty. It's easy to learn. So yeah. Just remember that and doesn't mean and <laughs> it means two. Yeah. There is actually, if you watch uh, Rado, uh, Rado runs through it actually has a really, really good how to play video for this game. So uh, watch Rado. He'll he'll walk you through it really, really well. So that's Aquatica from Cosmodrome Games. Next up is a game that is number one cute treasure chests forever. Uh, it is Deep Blue, published by Days of Wonder. Uh, I don't know how to describe it. I, I put down press your luck, set collection, hand management, because I think that's fair. But let me tell you something about this game. You get little treasure chests that you put your money, you put your stuff in. And like, I think, what are the gems? Like little jewel things that you put in there. But no, you, just actually... put, you put the jewels in the bag and you put the coins in the chest. Oh, that's right. The coins go. But it's an actual like little treasure chest that opens and you put stuff in it. It, It's so cool. And the art is, this is another game like Aquatica that is really pretty. In Deep Blue, players uh, play as a, I guess, salvage crew. Um, I, you, I don't know. The story of the game is you found an old map that leads to like an ancient underwater civilization. Um, but you don't know where it is exactly. You, you have a vague, a vague map. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense because if you have the map, you should know. But the tiles are placed randomly on your turn. You can move around. You can initiate a dive. And when you initiate a dive, and here's the, here's the most interesting part of this game. Um, Despite what Jondi said, the, the treasure chests are very cute, but the most interesting gameplay aspect, if you are on a location where another player initiates a dive or one location away, you can move there and join in. You get to be a part of that dive. So it's semi-cooperative. And then it turns into a press-your-luck game. You are pulling gems up out of the deep through physically just pulling little table-scattered gems out of a bag. And bad things can happen. You can run out of air. You can whatever the other bad thing was that I'm I never really was clear what the black gems represented. I don't know. To me, they were just like, if I keep drawing them, I'm going to not get anything. Because if you bust, basically what you call, would call in any push, press your luck game, if you bust, you don't get anything. Like all the nope. stuff that you could possibly be getting in that dive, you're not getting it. Which is pretty normal. It's pretty part and parcel for a press your luck game. If you press your luck too far, whatever it is you're trying to do, it's all gone. And that's pretty standard in this one. Uh, I really, I think it was a fun game. It is really easy to kind of fall behind and not realize how far behind you are until pretty much the end of the game. Which means, at least in my opinion, there's not much of a catch-up mechanic because you don't really realize that you're that far behind. But I had enough fun that it didn't really matter. Like, it, unless I was somebody that really cared about winning, which we all know that I don't win most games I play anyway. <laughs> so I I had a lot of fun playing this game. Uh, I had a, a really cool strategy, which was to initiate a dive and then get one thing and then immediately leave so nobody else got anything. It didn't work out. I mean, it worked out, I guess, but it wasn't a good strategy. A better strategy would have just been to play the game normally and, <laughs> and not try to do a dumb thing. 
but uh, you know it's fine it's a it's a cute game when you set it up you have to like shuffle the tiles and put them face down so the goal is to get as much treasure before uncovering all four tiles of the ancient civilization which can be spread out in a weird way that doesn't really thematically make a lot of sense but mechanically mm, it broke up when it, i was thinking i, I guess uh, mechanically it doesn't matter basically you're, it's, it's just a built-in timer against the game you can initiate a dive here and if it's one of the the sunken city tiles great cool awesome well i'm gonna get some treasure and that's one step closer to the end of the game i will say this about the game i think out of all of the games that we played that we're talking about in this episode this one is the best accessibility wise and price point and fun wise now i think for a gamer like hardcore gamer it's not the best game on the list but if you are a casual gamer I think this one is probably the best recommendation. Possibly. So well, let me put it to you this way, John D. If you had your nephews come over, would you be able to teach them this game? Yeah, I could teach it to them. Would you be able to teach them, having having never played a deck building game, Aquatica? Probably. Aquatica really wasn't that difficult either, but it would be more difficult. Right. And the same question for Atlantis Rising. Uh, no, I would not. Atlantis Rising, with it being a cooperative game, you could play it with kids that it, that play games. Uh, my nephews would just get frustrated and I'd have to tell them what to do on their right. turn every time anyway. But I think Deep Blue wouldn't necessarily have that problem because th there's not so much strategy in it that everyone's not just going to be doing the it's same thing. It's basically just hurry up and go dive in right. places and, you know, hope you don't bust, like, don't push your luck too far. I am somebody, when I play Press Your Luck games, that I, I pretty much go, oh, what the heck, let's keep going. Right. And that does not generally go well for me. I have never lost a game of Quacksalver. Because I true. don't risk it like you it's do. because he cheats. Yeah, right. I cheat by using math, by going, all right, I have five things left in the bag. And if I draw four, there's four of them that will make me lose. So I'm going to stop. But I think Johnny would go, well, there's one that will make me win. I could get that one. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I know what's in my bag, too, but I press my luck too far, <laughs> way too often. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I know that that's my style. I like press your luck games, but I know that I'm somebody that's that's a very aggressive as far mm -hmm. as how I, my play style. And, you know, sometimes it does work out very well for me. Yeah. But when it doesn't, it really doesn't. Yeah. And I just accept I'm being an aggressive player in that type of game. You're you're really gambling. <laughs> I don't think that that would benefit you in this game either. No. I think that you, once you draw, you can draw one bad thing without anything happening. You draw the second bad thing. Yeah, you should, you should probably stop. stop after that. And I usually <laughs> didn't. You might have a card or be on a tile that gives you access to ignore that bad thing. But you should probably stop. Right. But I would push it because I'd be like, well, if I pull out this, this thing that goes with this one card, I'll get all this extra stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, but that, you know what, that's just my play style and I, I can live with it. Yeah, it had a little bit of, of deck building going on because you could buy crew members that got you special things. Like if you drew two gold, well, this guy gets you double money for every two gold that you get. Yeah. So you would be incentivized to push your luck more to try to get the two gold. Well, oh, great. I, pu I pulled up one gold. Well, I, that's a treasure for sure if I stop. Mm -hmm. But if I keep going, I could get double the amount of money. So maybe I should keep going. Yep. You're obviously listening to our podcast right now. Uh, but did you know that you can listen to our podcast on YouTube? No. Really? You can. What? 
So cool, right? So if you're a YouTube person and you want to listen to our podcast on YouTube, check us out. Go subscribe to our YouTube, Eat Chit and Dice. And if you listen to us on iTunes, please go give us a five-star review. If you want to give us less than five stars, how about you just don't do it? No, no, no. Five stars or no, uh, five stars or don't do it at all. Yes. And we're on all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please uh, like us, follow us, enjoy us, whatever. And uh, we also have a Discord channel, which is Eat Chit and Dice. Join us on there and you can talk to us and tell us how irritating we are or something. All of those links are available on our website, eatchitanddice.com. But I, I guess if you're listening to this podcast already, you, you maybe you knew that. Maybe maybe you didn't know that. I you don't can know. also find a shopping cart to get Eat Chit and Dice t-shirts and bags. Mm-hmm. That's true. And maybe more stuff soon. Perhaps. Another accessible game that we played was a game called Reef. Reef is published by Plan B Games. And this is, it's basically, it's an abstract game. Like, it's got a very light theme, but it's it's a pattern building game with really cool, like, reef-shaped pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, uh, speaking of those reef-shaped pieces, if you do buy a copy of this game, you should immediately wash them because uh, a lot of mine still had, like, the mold release liquid goop on them. Not, not poisonous or anything, no, but... just sticky. Just a little annoying. So in this game, you are trying to build specific patterns with the colors of the pieces that you're placing on your grid board. So there will be cards that you can get from, you can choose from the center of like the community place to pick cards. The tableau. Yes. Thank you. Uh, You can pick those cards and then they will show you the amount of points that you'll get if you do a certain pattern. And But you can also play those cards to get those pieces. Yes. Well, you... Get, yeah. Yes. When you play a card to get a piece to place on your board, if you have achieved the pattern that's on that card, you get to both get those points and get the piece. If you play it to get the piece and you haven't achieved that pattern, too bad. You get the piece, you don't get any points. It's a neat little game. It was not my favorite of the ones we played. Uh, the components are cool. And if you like abstract games, then you would probably at least enjoy this one a little bit. It's not terribly challenging. But it's I'm okay with that. It's a little bit frustrating. A little bit, yeah. It wasn't really a game for me. I didn't dislike it, but I really don't think I'm going to rush to play it again either. It is a very accessible game, though. It would be very easy to teach somebody, hey, you're just trying to do these things. I could teach my nephews to play that game yeah. very easily. And they would probably like the pieces in the building thing aspect. So my number one problem with this game was uh, I would get a, a pattern that I could play but it wouldn't be essentially two more turns until I could actually like score that pattern. Cause I would have to get the reef pieces, play them down and hope that by the time it came around, nothing else had happened. Not that there's like a, a way for other players to hurt me, but no, there are but cards that I need and, and someone kept taking them. Don't look at me. It wasn't me. I only did it once <laughs> and I didn't know what you needed, which, which you don't know what somebody no. needs. So it's not like, you're no, I'm not actually mad at you. Yeah. Or something. Uh, but it can be frustrating at times because you're like, oh, I need just need one more of this color and I'll have this really great thing. I need, a purple. Really All I need is a purple. But then you'll there be a card out that to get a purple. But guess what? Uh, the person that goes right before me takes that card. And when a new card comes out, it's not purple. Mm-hmm. So that can be frustrating. But that's just the nature of the game. Yeah. So. I mean, that's the same with any game like this. Like Ticket right. to Ride, if there's a color that you need. Or Copenhagen, if there's a color that you need and you can't <laughs> yes. get it. It can be a little frustrating. It, it's a cute game, though. Um. If you like abstract games and pattern building type things, you know, check it out. It's it's worth checking out. 
but it really could be anything. It doesn't scream coral reef. Yeah, it, it really could be anything. I, I said it could be uh, about stacking donuts, and everyone told me you don't stack donuts. No, you you don't stack. You mess you mess up. You you mix See? up the different. I broke donuts. Jondi. It's just you don't you don't do that. Whatever. You could be building skyscrapers. Yeah, yeah, that would work. That would work. The theme. That's why it's an abstract game with yeah. a very light theme, and that's fine. Abstract games are cool, and I like it when when they have a very light theme on them. I'm not real big on abstract games, but I'll play them, and some of them I like better than others. Uh, I mean, the, I like Azul. Yeah, and that's abstract, but it's super pretty. So, yeah, a light theme on an abstract game is great, um, but it really could be anything. Yeah, the, the fact that it's coral reefs doesn't doesn't matter at all. It, it's just colors that you're stacking, but that's fine. Okay, we have to we have to address we have to address something here, Jondi. Okay. I don't have a problem with the game that we the, the next game here, Deep Sea Adventures. What I do have a problem with is don't give me a six sided die that is one through three twice and expect me to ever do anything with it. What? In the game Deep Sea Adventure, you are playing as a diver hoping to uh, recover treasure, more treasure, in fact, than the other players. Ah, but there's a trick. Everyone somehow magically is sharing the same air and some greedy butthole is going to go down and try to get all the treasure and sabotage everybody else. And you can only roll a one, two or three to get out. And guess what? You can't get out. Okay. However, let me say, I don't think this game would work if it went up to six because you'd be moving too far, especially when you're going down. So the way this game works, there is a little submarine tile that has numbers like 20 all the way down to zero. That's your air. The air does the numbers don't start moving down. There's there's little tiles that you arrange going all the way down and they have um, pips on the back of them. And so the pips that are on them determines like what order they're going in. So all the ones go down and then all the twos and then all the threes. So you roll your die and you get to move that many tiles down and then you can decide when you get when you land. Do you want to take that tile or do you want to not take it? Basically, if you take it, then the next time you go, the air is going to mo- go. You're going to lose air for every treasure that you've picked up. So if I've picked up two treasures, it's going to go down two every time I have a turn. So as people start picking treasure up, the air is going to start going down very quickly. Right. And you also are restricted by, I guess, your weighed down. So when you're rolling, it's 2d6, but they're not really six-sided die. I mean, they are physically six-sided die, but they're really three. So as you pick up treasure, because the the most you can roll is six. The minimum you can roll is two. So you can get five treasure and still get up. It's published by Oink Games. You can actually pick this up at Target. Um, it's it's fully in English now. The one that I have is in Japanese. The one that Johnny has is in English, but the same size box that I like, the small box. So... Um, the target one is more of a, uh, I guess, uh, uno sized. I don't know. It's like uno sized, but thicker. A little bit like that. Um, but but anyway, I will say don't play this game on a small table because you're going to have to smoosh everything together and it looks really weird. It's, it's a fun game. It's a really quick game. It's not going to last more than like 20 minutes. I will tell you if you play this game, as soon as you've picked up one or two treasure, or as soon as people have started picking up treasure, turn around and go back to the submarine. Yeah, because everybody else is going to die. So don't just keep thinking, oh, I'm just going to roll one more time because every time you think you're going to roll one more time and go a little bit deeper, you're going to roll 
the highest number you can go and you're going to go really deep and then there's no way that you're going to get out. And you, all the treasure that you pick up, if you don't make it back to the submarine before all, all the air is gone, you drop your treasure. You're not going to get to keep it. So, and, and the treasure, basically, it's a, it's a number on the other side that you don't get to look, you don't turn it over and look at that number until you've gotten to keep your treasure. And here's the catch, guys. Some of those treasures that you pick up are going to have a zero on them. So anyway, uh, it's it's not a terribly difficult game, but it's fun. You can play it with up to six players, I believe. So, you know, it'll accommodate a few more players than the average game. I played it on, uh, I played it over the Christmas break with my daughter and her friends, and they liked it enough that they played twice. So it, yeah, you can get it at Target's from Oink Games. Do you know what game we played that was, that I would not recommend? Not recommend for anyone? For, no, I loved it. I loved it too. I would but not recommend you... it for, for any gateway gamer at all. If you don't plan on spending four hours playing a game, don't even, just skip, skip. So this game was at my limit of how long I'll play play a game for. If it was any longer, I probably would have been out. I, I could have gone three more hours. Yeah, yeah. Twilight Imperium. Yes. Um, so this is Underwater Cities from Rio Grande Games. Uh, this game, you're literally building cities underground. Like we could have fit this episode, this this into our last episode about city building if we wanted to. They're, the components in the game are super cool. There's like actual little domes that kind of look like the domes from the Pop-O-Matic game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> little tiny versions of it. So you're actually like building little cities that are the domes. And then you build like parts of the city, like laboratories, desalination plants. and Farms. Uh, farms for growing. And you use those. Those are how you get resources. You're building bridges and you have to connect well, they're, they're tunnels, Johnny, because they're underwater. They That's can't true. be bridges. They're tunnels. You, you have to connect your cities. And you there's there's starting things that you get at the beginning of the game, like starting cities that you get at the beginning. I mean, you're, that give you things. So you're also trying to connect your cities to those. So you can decide kind of which path on your player board you're going to build on. And Yeah, it's a three by five. No. Well, it's three by three, but then there's... A center one as well. There's the side pieces that. <sighs> so it's a really cool game. It's not necessarily it's it's not a quick game at all. And there is a little bit of like downtime in between your turn that can get a little tedious because you don't. It's basically a game where you're playing your own game and it's just there happen to be other players playing the same game. Because there's really, there's no player interaction other than the worker placement aspect to where other players may have gone where you needed to go. Yeah. So then you can't do the thing that you want to do. Uh, other than that, you're just, you're playing on your own player board. And so the downtime in between your turns gets a little bit tedious. And that's my biggest complaint about the game. But that, you know, sometimes in games, like, you just can't mitigate that. It's just a fact of a game with... You know, we played with four players. Yeah. It's yeah. a fun game, though. Like it's the full player count. It's a little bit of deck building. May The main mechanic is worker placement. And I've played twice now. The first game I played, we didn't finish it uh, because it was late at night. This one we finished. It was also late at night. It, we, yeah. We, <laughs> and we still we played another game after it. But, you know, I really enjoyed it. I want to play it again. There's an expansion coming out, and I know that I want to try it when the expansion comes out. It's, it's one I want to give another try, for sure. But it's one where you want to make sure that you've got the time to sit down and play, because it's not going to be a one-hour game. It's going to be 
minimum of two hours if you're playing with two players. Yeah. It's about 40 minutes per player once you know how to play. Yeah, and it uh, takes up a lot of table space, too. So oh, if you have a smaller yeah. table, ooh, I, I, I don't know. I've got a, a three foot by five foot well in my table, and it took up almost all of it. So it, it is a large footprint game, um, which is not, you know, not nothing wrong with that. That's fine. You're allowed to have a, a game take up a lot of space, but just be aware. Yeah, it's a beast. It it a lot of real estate. I yeah, I cannot recommend this to if you are a hardcore gamer. Absolutely, sure, fine. But casual, no. No, I would not recommend no, this for casual players. Not at all. But for for actual like board gamers, it's a cool game. It is Give it a amazing. Try. Yeah, it's a really cool game. There's a lot to it, though. I don't know that it would be fair to say it's one of my favorite games because I have a lot of favorite games. But the fact that John D will play this, I'll I'll take it. <laughs> she won't play Twilight Imperium. And I don't play a lot of heavy games. And this is about as heavy. It's not a heavy game, but it's about as heavy as I per, as I like to get. Um, apparently you can get replacement. So so the, the worker placement aspect of the game is just like cardboard tokens that you put down in certain places. So when you put down your token, you have to also play a card. That card, if it matches the region that you're in, you get a bonus action or whatever. So we were trying to figure out what kind of game it was. And I was like, well, it's just it's worker placement, but there's not meeples. There's these. You can get pieces Diver for meeples? this game. No, they are submarines. <gasps> oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I might I might hunt some of those down or uh, 3D print them myself. But this game is... Oh, there's so many things happening in this game. It is. Yeah, there's a lot to it. Yes. From doing the production phase of the game where you have to actually like figure out how much resources your city outputs and then balance it with feeding your population. Yeah. So I just I, that alone. I made that harder on myself. So yeah, there's you were a, doing it wrong. Well, no, I was doing it right. Except for one thing. I there's a promo that we have where you get a green dome. And you don't have to. So during the production phase, you have to have at least one algae for every. Oh, is that algae? I was calling it kelp. But oh no, it is kelp. You're right. It's kelp. You have to have at least one kelp resource for each city that you have built. Uh, But if you have that green dome or that green city, it's like I don't know, self-producing or something. So you don't have to have a kelp for that one. And the person that gets that is the first person that builds a city or builds their three cities so i had that and basically you just switch it with one of the cities that you've built i forgot that i didn't have to have a kelp for Mm. it so every time we had that production phase i was still having to have i I was still paying kelp for that which was frustrating because at the end of the game i had a card that would have given me points for every combination of kelp and something else i was two kelp if i'd had two more kelp i'd have had two more points well, I cheated myself out of some points. Um, there's there's two, well, three, I guess, with the with the promo piece. But there's two types of cities. There's like the normal dome, and then there's the symbiote dome, which I, I'm not sure thematically what's going on there. But you, you've uh, somehow you live in harmony with sea life. Whatever, you get extra points if you have the the red cities built. And none of us were giving. Well, John may have been giving himself, but I wasn't giving myself the extra points for that. Oh, I was. So, I only had like one. All right. Well, I had like four of them. But... I only had. I think I only had one. But <laughs> but it's okay. I still. I still. You still won. I scored, an adequate score. I, I... did not. I. <laughs> no, you didn't. Who? It was bad. Everybody else was like close to a hundred, and I had like forty something. It was. 
It was real bad. Uh, I think this is a really great game. The retail is like $70, but if you try to pick it up at Gen Con, I paid 40 for it. You can get it for pretty cheap. You can. Yeah. You just got to know where to look. No, it. it's a good game. But I, and, and quite honestly, I think there's probably $70 worth of game oh, here. There absolutely is. But, but don't if pass you can up find a deal, it cheaper, then get it cheaper. It's but it's a fun game. I want to play it again because I don't know what the heck I was thinking. But man, did I mess it up. <laughs> Just uh, bad score. So yeah, Miniature bad. Market has it for $48. That's not so. bad. Anyway, Jared, are you looking at any Kickstarters right now? Sort of. So here's here's what's going on. Eagle Griffin Games is not doing a Kickstarter for a couple of their games. They are just going straight through a crowdfunding fulfillment service. It's one of the pledge manager Yeah, it's sites. a pledge manager. Yeah, they're, they're just doing it straight through CrowdOx rather than doing it on Kickstarter and then moving all their backer information over to CrowdOx to fulfill. Basically, they're, they're it's just straight to retail, but they're doing a campaign for pre-ordering the game. Right. So it's kind of like a Kickstarter, only not on Kickstarter. So before I go into what all they have, uh, these pre-orders close March 13th. So keep that in mind. The one that I am excited about is Rococo. Now, I have the just the base game of the original printing, and I was never able to get any of the expansion content because it was always out of print. It was always super expensive. Um, Rococo is like a... Um, well, it takes place in the Rococo era. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to give you a history lesson, but basically, uh, you're making dresses. The, the, the grand ball is about to happen, and everybody's hired you to make their their costume. So it is a, a dressmaking game. They have kind of blinged it out here for this. Um, they've included the expansions as well. If you get the if you get that level and there's some new component uh, components for it as well. And I don't know. It looks looks pretty good. Looks good to me. Yeah, I've always wanted to try Rococo. Um, I'm not really too interested in any of the other games that they're offering in this. Uh, but I, a lot of people are interested in these games. They've got uh, Gangster's Dilemma, which is uh, a wild guess. It looks like a Wild West game, but maybe it's not. Um, it's a it's a mob. Oh, mob yeah, yeah, boss yeah. Game. I see that. It's a set. You're trying. You play as a gangster wanting to satisfy your mob boss, and you secretly choose loot from one of the city's hotspots. And but there's cops on patrol. Yeah. So yeah, there's Gangster's Dilemma. There's Stolen Paintings, which you can imagine it's an, kind of an art-themed game, but you're a thief. You're not making art, you're stealing it. Right. Uh, there's Fleet, which is a dice uh, uh, on-the-water dice game instead of under the sea. You're yes. On the sea, it's a roll and write. Yeah, it's a dice drafting. I actually do yeah. want to try that one. So, yeah, I think it's pretty cool that they are deciding basically to go straight to retail, but to do this you know, crowdfunding kind of version of that so i hope it seems to be working well for them and i I hope that it does yeah and i think they're still going to have some exclusive stuff in here like if you get the the deluxe edition with all the stuff included you you save a little bit of money and there might be like one promo that's extra like i I don't know like there's a i don't know there's some stuff to look at here um Right now, at the time of recording, the CrowdOx website is undergoing maintenance, so I can't look at everything that's on here. But that's okay, um, because I'll put a link for you to look at it if you want to look at it. If you want to look at a dress, a dress game where you make dresses. For some reason, that's a theme that I like. I don't know. 
Yeah, we'll eventually do a, a an episode. Oh about yeah, I've got fashion. Yeah, we talked about that already. We had what five, six games. I like five, yeah. There's a upcoming Kickstarter that I'm really excited about, and when it's when it's up and running, we'll talk about it again. But it is a game called Wonderland's War. It is coming from Skybound Games. Uh, no. I played this at BGGCon. I played a prototype of it at BGGCon, and it, it's pretty fun. And then a couple of weeks ago, I went up to Indianapolis and I was a part of the playthrough video with Man vs. Meeple that will be uh, going up right around the Kickstarter as a part of showing how to play the game for Kickstarter backers. So in this game, all of the whimsical is going out. It's 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 being it's going away from Wonderland. So Wonderland's kind of losing its its crazy or its whimsical. And there are oh, two. How awful. Yeah, it's 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 terrible. So you play as one of the Wonderland type characters. There's like, uh, there's Alice. There's the Red Queen. There is the White Rabbit. Somebody can play as the Jabberwocky. Um, what does the Jabberwocky do, Johnny? The Jabberwocky. I, I don't. I didn't play the Jabberwocky. Um, David did. But the Jabberwocky is. So let me. There's two. It's a really easy game to learn. It has beautiful minis. Beautiful minis. The purple blade went snicker snack. <laughs> so, uh, in the first part of the game, like each round has two like phases. The first phase is a phase where you are getting things. It's a bag building game. You're getting the things to put in your bag uh, by moving around like a track and where you go on the track, you can go wherever you want. The, the catch is you can't move. You have to move the same direction all the time. And it once you, there's like a table. When you pass the table on the track, you get, you get shards that, and they're like bad things that go in your bag that aren't good when you draw them. So that's the bag building aspect of the game. The second phase of a round is where the game gets really, really cool. And it's where you're drawing from that bag. So all the different, places in wonderland are on this on this board so you've got like i don't remember what they're called like the what they're called but there's like the place where the the mad hatter's tea party would be i was playing that as the mad hatter uh there's there's like a the meadow of uh, living flowers yes so you are placing your characters in these different places and you're going to go to war against the other uh characters in wonderland well, in order her head <laughs> yeah. So you're going to war against them to claim these places within Wonderland. And so you're all the players that are in an area, you will you'll go around to each area and everybody that's there will be drawing from their bag and who it basically it's a last person last person that hasn't busted gets to claim the area and then it's it's really a fun game. It's really easy to learn. It's beautiful. The art is by um the same guy I can't remember his last name. His first name is Manny. He's the same guy that does the art for Dice Throne, which is also just Trimbly. amazing. Yes, thank you. It's amazing art. So it's it's Alice in Wonderland with this really great art. And the minis are gorgeous. So this game's going to be launching on Kickstarter on February 11th. So we'll mention it again when the Kickstarter's up. But I'm really excited about it. You can look at some of the images of it on BGG right now. And also, if you follow Skybound Games, they've been posting stuff on their Twitter. Great. That sounds that sounds good, John D. Thank you for, for that lovely in-depth analysis. Back to you at the desk, John D. Do you have, do you have any food food thoughts recently? Uh, have you recently had food thoughts? Well, I mean, I eat food every day. Right. Well, can I can I do a, a, 
a rice cooker rant? Sure. Okay. Uh, did you know? Do you know how rice cookers work, John D? Are you familiar with the concept of a rice cooker? I have. Well, I have an Instant Pot. I used to have a rice cooker. Now I use an Instant Pot. Okay. So let me tell you this. This weird physics trick about water. Once water reaches its boiling point, which is like 212 degrees, dumping more energy into it doesn't make it evaporate or heat up any any faster. Um, there, I, and I forget the word for it, but there's there's a threshold. Okay. So what happens when that water reaches 212 degrees, there's a magnet in the rice cooker that after it gets to 213 degrees, heats up and turns off the heating element. So you will always, every time, get perfect rice. Okay. Rice cookers, specifically the only brand that I know anything about, which is the Amora brand, are like 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. You can buy a thing that always makes you perfect rice, assuming that you put in the correct amount of water and rice. Why don't we do that more often? Why, why, don't we as a, why do we as a society try to make rice on the stove? Well, it takes some space on your, on your, um, in your kitchen, and maybe you don't eat rice very often. Well, I do. <laughs> we have an Instant Pot, which will do that as well. Mm. So when we got that, we got rid of our rice cooker. See, I, I, don't, I don't trust um, like computerized cookers to cook me rice when I can trust physics. Plus, okay. this rice cooker, uh, it has a built-in steamer because the, you know, as the water boils, it mm-hmm. steams. So you can put vegetables on like a, there's like a tray. You can put mm-hmm. vegetables on the top tray, and the whole thing is dishwasher safe. Not the body of the thing, but like the pot, the steam tray, the lid, the the rice scooper. So the moral of the story is, Jared thinks you should get a rice cooker. That's right. If you go to Amazon.com/slash. Eat shit and dice. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not real. Don't. Yeah, uh, don't do that. I, I don't have a referral set up for a rice cooker. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, rice cookers are, they're, they're, it's 20 bucks if you eat rice, I don't know, once a week. It's a worth, worthwhile investment. But um, anyway, I guess, John D, that that's all I've got. Uh, until next time, John D. You can eat shit and dice. Dice is an independent production of Swin Media and is distributed under a Creative Commons license. Attribution, non-commercial, share alike, 4.0 international. Yeah, I think the rice cooker that I got was like $17. Yeah, they're cheap. They're really cheap. Yeah, they're crazy cheap. But like I said, we got rid of ours when we got our Instant Pot because it'll do the same thing. I also have an electric kettle for like making tea or I guess anything. Yeah, can, I used to have but... one of those. But then when I got my Keurig, I didn't need mm. that anymore well, either. Well, the electric kettle that I have works in the same principle. It, it, the heating element switches off right when the water is is boiling because the magnet kicks in and turns it off right i just don't need it since i have a a keurig uh what i do have that i like very well is a milk frother oh yeah 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 uh which was like 20 bucks yeah what do you have to do it's like a thing you you do it and then you shake it up in a bottle and then you put it in the microwave or something no that's that's how you do it if you don't have a milk oh okay um, if you don't have a milk frother, you can literally put the milk in a mason jar and shake it up really well and then put it in the microwave. With, without the lid. Right. Um, <laughs> shake it up with the lid on and then take the lid off. Don't put metal in the microwave. Yeah. But, I mean, that that does an okay job. But an actual milk frother, frother will do, will give you, like, frothed 
milk mm. like what you get in a in a coffee place or whatever. Cool. Not and what like, I get in a coffee place. Uh, yeah, because you don't get that. But uh, it's it's like twenty bucks, and I really like it because I like to put um, milk froth frothed milk or whatever you want to call it. I like to put it in my tea. Mm. Mm. So anyway, I have that. It's cool. Yeah, I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of milk in my life because. Because I'll die. I won't die, but I'll get real sick. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to stop. All right. Cool. I'm going to leave that in at the end. I'm Bye. Sure you will.